freedom, true freedom, spiritual freedom. That's the subject of our time today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh, the words of that marvelous hymn that we sing, and can it be. That's the subject that we're looking at today in chapter 7 of Romans, verses 1 through 6. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Paul uh, comes to Romans 7, maybe one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Bible. I'm not sure I understand it completely, but I'll share with you what I think I know. And uh, let me just bring you up to date on where we are in the book. Chapter one, Paul says, my whole reason for writing Romans is, I want you to know the gospel that gives a man or woman a right standing with God. If you'll believe the gospel that I preach, you will come from the state of being a condemned sinner and you will move into a righteous status before God for time and eternity. That's why he writes the book, 1, 16 and 17. There's the theme verse of the book of Romans. Now, he spends the first chapter after that, verse 18 through chapter 2, through chapter 320, saying, you need a right standing with God because God finds us as sinners. And these are the indictments against us. And boy, the first three chapters are... You're bad, you're bad, you're a sinner. All of sin are coming short of the glory of God. Over and over and over, he's saying, you're depraved, you're fallen, you're worthy of judgment, you're worthy of the wrath of God. God doesn't have to apologize that he's angry with us. And he tells you why. Then he begins to give us good news and explain in chapter three, and he develops it right through chapter five, that God has brought Christ to rescue us. And Christ has satisfied God's outraged wrath. Christ has bought for himself a people. And God has imputed to us by faith the righteousness of Christ. Marvelous. He's transferred the righteousness of Christ to those who believe. Pardon the voice. Allergy, I can't, I can't hardly talk. And you'll probably feel blessed. Uh, I can't yell at you like I want. And uh, so we get this righteousness of God. Chapter six, seven, and eight. He's going to develop the dynamic that makes the Christian life work. The dynamic that makes Christianity work. Now you've never seen a defeated Christian so that you don't need to study this stuff. But many Christians don't just get saved and soar to mountain heights, and that's it. That the journey is more like this. And so Romans 6 through 8 wants to tell you what the life of the justified 
in the Christian life is to look like. He'll start telling them practical things to do in chapter 12 and uh, how to treat government and how to do a lot of stuff. But he's giving you the spiritual dynamics of what it is to be justified before God. Well, that's before God. How do I live down here? How do I get through? Chapter 6 says, know this for sure. All the justified have been united with Christ, union with Christ. And we want to live our life counting on the fact that we've been joined to him, identified with his death, identified with his resurrection, and we count on it every day. That is a fact, and we count on it. He comes to chapter 7, and as I understand it, he's going to give fuller amplification to two things he said in 614 and 615. And he's going to explain himself. Notice what it says in 614. He says, for sin shall not be your master. And he's argued that over and over in chapter six. So say with me, sin is not the master of the justified. If you're justified by faith, sin remains in you, but no longer can reign over you. It cannot master you. But I'm carnal. Get over it. The statement says sin cannot, and not on the basis of you, but on the basis of the salvation God's given you, sin, the sin principle within, cannot reign over the justified. And what else? Because you are not under law, but under grace, whatever that means. Who has ever lived under the law of Moses? Was it the Gentiles? You've never been under the law. You're going to be judged by it, according to Romans uh, 2.16, your conscience and the law agree that you're a sinner. But who lived under the law? God gave the law to Israel. Exodus 19. Ten commandments, 613 commandments. The law as a rule of life. But he says to this justified group, because his audience is largely Jewish Christians, in the Christian life, you don't have to remain under the law to live the life God expects. And Paul was charged, you're teaching we can be lawless. You're teaching, you can do as you please in the Christian life. No law, who's going to restrain you? Who's going to pull off the Christian life if you don't have rules? We need rules. We need rules. So we can break them. So we can break them. We need the rules. He says the Christian life is under grace, which means the unmerited favor of God is what is saving you, leading you, training you. You're not under law, which means obey or pay. Obey or pay. If you don't obey, I'm going to penalize you. We're not under the law of Moses, nor any kind of law. Now, I just wish you were all Jews because you don't even appreciate what I'm saying. You've been lawless all your life. But folks who lived under Judaism had to get their children circumcised, had to keep Sabbat, had to bring the right lamb. I want to tell you, this had to be revolutionary when they heard this. Then he goes to verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, 
But under grace, yippee. No, by no means. Don't you know? Then he goes on that we have become servants of God. Now, knowing that, I think he jumped into chapter 7 to explain as a converted rabbi who has left Judaism and is now a believer reaching both Jews and Gentiles, he's going to develop and expand that argument in chapter 7. He's going to do an illustration in verses 1 through 3 about marriage. It's don't use this for a marriage conference because the goal isn't marriage. It's an illustration. He's going to apply what the illustration means in verses 4 through 6, and he's going to apply it to the Christian life. Verses 7 through 13, he's going to explain to you the effect of the law in the life of a Jew that tried to live under it. And we'll look next week at the verses 14 through 25 that are greatly debated. And here's the debate. Do verses 14 through 25 describe the normal Christian life? You'll have to read it before next week to even know. Is it, is it the Christian life being described in verses 14? And if you've got a MacArthur Bible, he says it absolutely is. And it's got a great footnote that uh, summarizes the arguments for this view. J.I. Packer takes the view. It's the most common view. James Boyce, among evangelicals, we probably use this the most. Lutherans have always said, with Luther on, that this pictures the struggling Christian life because he saw the Christian life as always wrestling with how to keep the law and getting along. So one argument is, this is the picture of the Christian life. I want to do good, but I don't. I don't want to do something, but I do it. And this is my perpetual struggle. This is my struggle. This is describing me. So this is the Christian life. And I've held that view. That's why you don't want to keep studying. Once in a while, God changes your mind. I don't think it's at all the Christian life in Romans 7, 14. I think it's a Jew under the law. There's three Three things that Paul's going to give us, three laws. The law of Moses, the law of sin and death, and the law of the Spirit. Now, he has said in Romans 6, we are not under the law of sin. The sin principle has been broken as to its power over the Christian's life. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. You think you get saved from its penalty, but you can't get saved from its power. Anathema. I don't need a therapist to give me victory over sin. I need Christ. I need Christ. He breaks the power of addictive behavior. He breaks anything that sin can do. He does that or you don't believe the gospel of Romans. Two, I'm not under the law of Moses for my Christian life, but I'm under a new dispensation or a new order called grace. God will teach me to live for him under a different set of principles than the law. He uses grace. And thirdly, thirdly, when you throw law, the law of sin and the law of God together, you know what you have? 
you have a constant fight and a constant uh, combustion because the two cannot get along with each other. For the law can command you, but it cannot enable you. And the sin principle takes the law of God and breaks it, breaks it, breaks it, rebels. They can't live together to create the Christian life. So God says, I'm removing you from the law. I want to see that sin cannot reign over you and you're under new management. The spirit himself will be the new rule of life that you live under. He's the energizer for the grace dispensation. The spirit is fulfilling in us the righteousness that we never could come up to under the law because it proved us to be rebels and yet it produces the life of Christ without law. Look at the illustration, verses one through three. Do you not know brothers... For I am speaking to men who know the law. Now, most of you don't know the law unless you study the Bible a long time. How many of you know the 613 commandments of the law? Go. How many of you have been bar mitzvahed? You don't know anything. You're just pagans that God saved. And this is the setting. But I'm talking to the Jewish Christian in my audience that's offended when I say we're not under law. That the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. For example, here's his illustration. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. Jewish women could not get a divorce. The man could divorce the woman, but she could not divorce the man. So if she divorces her husband and gets remarried, no matter what the cause, she's an adulteress, really a candidate for stoning. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Get the illustration. That under the law, the only way a woman in a marriage could ever be free to marry again, ideally, was if her first husband died, then if she remarried, she's in a uh, favorable status. She's not seen as an adulteress. She's not seen as a law violator. You understand that? So if you want to get out of a bad marriage, just pray that he die. Um, you, you, the two favorite lines of mine in the bantering that went back and forth between Winston Churchill and Lady Astor, two things that are just magnificent. The one was, uh, she said, if you were my husband, I would put arsenic in your tea. And he said, and if I were your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to be able to remarry, just, pr you know, uh, and the other one, of course, you remember, she came down one morning, saw Winston said, you're drunk. And he said, and you're ugly. <laughs> then he said, but in the morning, I'll be sober. <laughs> so you want to get out of those kind of situations and under the law, you just hope somebody dies. And in this case, the woman who couldn't get a divorce, she was set free and we understand that death, you can't go any further in a marriage and loyalty and faithfulness than death. Illustration. But you're left there. Why are you talking this way? What, what are you talking about? The application is verses four through six. Why he told the story. He, now, 
You've got to get this application or you're going to be thinking of some way to buy arsenic. So, so look to the application. Verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit, his fruit. Do you see what he's saying? That through the death of Christ, you, you died. Now in the illustration, he's talking about the husband died, but in his application, he's saying, guess what? Through your identification with Christ, God's given you credit to having died to the law. How did you die to the law? You died to its penalty. The law says, the soul that sinneth shall die. I died. Did you die? He said you did. Who's true, God or you? He's been saying it all the way through chapter 6. With Christ, you died to sin. Now he's saying, in Christ, you died to the law. He's switching gears. Six is dying to sin. Seven, I died to the law. Law, you can't do any more than you did to me at the cross. I broke your commandments. I will bear your penalty, but I bear it in the person of my substitute. So I've died to the law. Besides that, in Christ, I kept the law because he represented me in perfect obedience. So I've met all the demands I ever need before the law. So now what are you doing? I've been raised from the dead. Don't stop with me at the cross. You've got to go with me three days later to an empty tomb. And I've been raised in Christ that I may now bear fruit for him. Okay. I've become his bride to bear his fruit. Now notice what he says. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature. Wait, let's take a little grammar here. I always check you out on past tenses and present. Uh, how do you read this? Is this present tense or past? Why do we read it like, well, while I'm still being controlled by sin right now, God says the control of sin for you ended at the cross. And at the moment you believe Christ and were baptized into him, we died to the control of sin. It's over and over and over in Romans. Someone says, you preach a lot to Christians because I see a lot of defeated Christians. Do you? That still think I've been saved in the past, but I'm as miserable as I can be in the present because I'm still being bossed and slapped around by sin that I seem to be powerless to do anything about. Yet it goes against everything God has promised you in Christ. And here's it. When we were controlled in the past by the sin nature or sin principle, the sinful passions, moods really, aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Used to, uh, when we were in sin, the law could demand of us and we would rebel and only fruit that was death, was born through us. And so we were miserable, very miserable, and bore nothing but death. Well, he goes on. So now, 
by dying to what once bound us, the law, we have been released from the, I can't hear you. What law? Law of Moses. So that we serve. Now I didn't say so that we boogie. So that we go and get drunk in the new way. No, no, no. We were released from this bondage that we might serve. We might serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What is he saying? The Christian life in no way is governed by the law of Moses. We are not under law. You couldn't keep it if you were under it. And Israel proved that. So, wait, let, let's step back. So you're saying, since I believed in Christ, I've been declared righteous in the heavens. And the way you get to live in a righteous life down here is, number one, no, you're not a slave to sin. God says that reign is ended in Christ. Is that so? What else? And by the way, there's no rule over you that God will penalize you. And God's got a bunch of rules for you to keep so that if you break them, he can penalize you. There's no such rules. They've all been kept by you. That's behind you. Well, what's left? What do I do? Oh, oh. I have brought you into the sphere of the spirit. And from now on, your life will be a Holy Spirit animated life. From now on, your ethics will be produced by the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering. The Holy Spirit can do in you uh, what the law could never do. And the spirit will overcome that uh, rebellious principle in you called the sin principle. He is no match. The, uh, the sin principle is no match for the Holy Spirit. He can break the power of sin in the Christian. He can do it. I sure needed that as a young Christian. You know, one of the main reasons I did not want to become a Christian is I just knew I couldn't live it. I, I, I had my sister in the next room. I said, man, I, I can never live like Hazel. I don't want to. Matter of fact, she's not even getting married. You know, She's like a, a nun. She, she's given herself fully to the church and she's so sold out. I mean, I admire her, but I couldn't ever live like her. Loved my aunts and different Christians. I admired them. I knew they were God's people. And I would be convicted in services. And uh, I went to quite a few altar calls and I could last for three days. And then I'd go back to cussing. I'd go back to lusting. I'd go back to stealing. Go back to fighting. Come on, I'm a San Pablo boy. You've got to be, steal something just to be in good standing. <laughs> but then I always would say, you can't live like these people, so don't even sign up. I, I don't want morals. I want to go to heaven. And all of a sudden, a new principle started working in me. I said, you want to, you, you want to please the one that died for you, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do, Lord. I want Nobody threatening me. He created these desires to be right towards my mother, to uh, want to do this. I, where's this coming from? I, I said, I can never live this way. I'm not made like these people. I wasn't when I thought that way. But when the spirit came in, I started thinking like spirit people. 
and you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called The Life of the Righteous. A look at Romans chapters 6 and 7 as we continue our greater survey through this marvelous book. Copies of the broadcast or the entire series today's message was taken from can be obtained from us by simply calling or stopping by our website. You can even write to us if you wish. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. As mentioned, you're also welcome to stop by our website. We have other resource materials available along with this series we're currently in the middle of. It's all found at valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. Other information about who we are and what we believe can be found there as well. And consider this a personal invitation to join us for worship Sundays here at Valley Bible Church. Directions and details, again, can be found at our website, valleybible.org. If you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. That's here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Another reason for you to contact us either by phone or by mail or stopping by our website, and that is to become a TFT sustainer. And a TFT sustainer, simply put, is somebody who comes alongside of us financially and prayerfully saying, yes, I'd like to partner with you as you continue to spread the gospel through the greater Bay Area. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. We want to partner with you as we continue the ministry of the gospel here on this station. As a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift, and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil. It's our weekly devotional video. Again, call us at 855-833-9864 and let us know that you'll become a partner of the ministry here at Truth For Today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.